coming up on The Exam Room. How many of these cases are preventable in your estimation? I think the science clearly shows that a solid 50% are preventable. And in my heavily researched opinion, 80 to 90% need not be so. And even when you do get a breast cancer, I've found in my ladies who are pursuing, heavily pursuing the tried and true research-driven path of a whole food plant-based diet. They're exercising regularly. They're maintaining ideal body weight. They don't drink alcohol. They are like zenned out and stress very little, et cetera, et cetera. When they do get breast cancer, because it can still happen, there are these like super mellow little lazy buggers. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Tyler, Texas, Huntington Beach, California, and Shaoxing, China. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 84 of season 6, number 480 overall. And today we are going to be kicking off our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign with our good friend, Dr. Christy Funk. She is a leading expert on breast cancer prevention and a renowned cancer surgeon. She's also a wife, a mother, and an all-around extraordinary human being. And as we learn today about breast cancer, let's keep these numbers in mind. These are from the American Cancer Society. And it turns out that with the exception of skin cancer, breast cancer is the most common cancer among women in the United States. It accounts for one out of every three cancer cases. And so with this year in mind, just this year, that breaks down to nearly 300,000 new cases of invasive breast cancer being diagnosed, and almost 45,000 women, sadly, will die from this insidious disease. And so today we are going to flip the script on breast cancer. We are going to answer the question, how many of these cases are preventable? How many of these deaths are preventable? And how can you protect yourself? So we're going to find out with Dr. Funk. She joined me on the exam room live this week as we band together to beat breast cancer. But before we open up the doctor's mailbag and get into the show, I wanted to take a second to tell you about our amazing event that's coming up November 7th at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. That night, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn will be making a special rare appearance as we honor his legacy, his lifetime of work, a lifetime of work that has helped us all understand that our health is in our hands. And it's true, you cannot possibly quantify the impact that he has truly had, but what we can do is say thank you. And so that is exactly what we will do as we present him and the entire Esselstyn family with the Midge Struber Ambassador for a Healthier World Award. 
and Rip Esselstyn will also be there from Plant Strong. And of course, two plant-based women warriors, Anne and Jane, will also be in the house with us that night, and you can be too. Join us for this once-in-a-lifetime recording of The Exam Room Live. It's going to be at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. on November 7th. Join me. The Esselstons, Dr. Neil Barnard, and hundreds of exam roomies. Get your tickets today for this can't miss event. PCRM.org slash events, or just click the link in the episode notes to reserve your seats today. That's PCRM.org slash events, or click that link in the episode notes for this once in a lifetime celebration on the exam room live. Dr. Funk, welcome to the show. Let's jump right in and get to it. As I said at the top, a just jaw-dropping number of new breast cancer cases and deaths this year alone. How many of these cases are preventable in your estimation? I think the science clearly shows that a solid 50% are preventable. And in my heavily researched opinion, 80 to 90% need not be so. And even when you do get a breast cancer, I found in my ladies who are pursuing, heavily pursuing the tried and true research-driven path of a whole food plant-based diet, they're exercising regularly, they're maintaining ideal body weight, they don't drink alcohol, they are like zenned out and stress very little, et cetera, et cetera. When they do get breast cancer, because it can still happen, there are these like super mellow little lazy buggers that aren't going to kill them until they're 250 years old. So there is no true panacea is my point, but I think we can knock out half of the breast cancers for sure. And higher than that is highly probable. And even if you do get a breast cancer living this way, it's not like it did you a disservice. You are going to have a cancer that is pretty easy to cure. All right. Now let's also tackle the other elephant that's in the room. The question from Happy Rabbit she sent this one to me on Instagram. Couldn't even wait for the live show. Had to get this question in ahead of time. And when we talk about breast cancer, genetics always come into the conversation. Happy Rabbit's question is, well, what percentage of these cases are actually related to genetics, Dr. Funk? A very recent study showed 8.5%. 8.5% of all breast cancer patients have an inherited genetic mutation, such as BRCA, PALB2, CHECK2, etc. So the vast majority, 90 plus percent, do not have an inherited mutation. Now, genetics still is very important. Either you have a mutation that we can test for, it's possible with a family history laden with cancer in mom and sister and your own daughter, et cetera. Like those are highly suspicious for maybe a gene we haven't tested for yet. But ladies and men out there, that is few and far between. So to use that as a quote unquote excuse, like, oh, breast cancer doesn't run in my family. I don't have to pay attention to it is a dangerous notion. What about for us guys? I mean, you, you just mentioned for the fellas there. So it, it makes me wonder, obviously, the number of breast cancer cases among guys pales in comparison, but are our risk factors the same as they would be for women? They are. They are the same. Uh, men who have a BRCA mutation have between like a six and eight percent chance of getting breast cancer, which is a far cry from the around 60 to 87 percent chance that women have with that same mutation, but it's still highly elevated above all men in general, which is like 
1.3 and 100,000 men. So you go all the way to like whatever one, 8% is like one in 12. This year alone, there were uh, 500 deaths from breast cancer in men. So one of the biggest risks is that they just aren't aware that they actually do have breast tissue. So fun fact, in utero, before we are uh, differentiated into little girls or little boys, we are all little girls. So uh, testosterone comes out week six in utero and ruins it all for you guys. And the breast bud has already developed. So as the baby develops and then you become, go through puberty and become a man, you do have that breast bud still there. And so there's a certain amount of breast tissue that exists that can in fact get breast cancer. So any man who notices skin redness, thickening, a dimpling, nipple retraction, discharge, obviously a lump or a lymph node lump in the armpit, he needs to get that checked out just the same uh, with urgency like a woman would. Let's talk about uh, our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign for this year. Every year, it centers around four steps, or as we call them, four prongs, like on a fork, for reducing your risk. You already hit on them. And one of the biggest things that we, we talk about when we beat our drum for breast cancer is to adopt that plant-based diet. Tell me, when it comes to breast cancer risk, what is it about these animal-based foods that can be so sinister? Why do we need to get those out of our diet to bring our risk down? So every time you chew and swallow animal protein, animal fat, there are a series of events that happen inside of you that could care less how sustainably raised and organically fed that cow or chicken or pig was. Okay. So there is a whole argument there about like the type and quality of meat, but it doesn't matter when you chew and swallow it down, however it lived and died. It's now creating this biochemical reaction inside of you that elevates estrogen levels. Estrogen feeds and fuels 80% of all breast cancers, so more of it is bad. It elevates IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor 1. It's the biggest growth promoter inside our bodies, screaming at all our cells to grow, which is super useful if you're a kid trying to become bigger. And it's useful for us adults because we turn over a shocking 50 billion cells a day and IGF-1 replaces them. However, if you have IGF-1 in excess, what's it doing all day long? Turns out it's screaming at things to grow, grow fat, grow plaque, grow cancer, grow metastases. Like, whoo, that's a frightening elevation. And the only way to elevate it is to consume protein. Another thing that happens is angiogenesis. When you eat animal protein, the response inside of you from VEGF and some other biochemical messengers is like, hey, let's bring blood flow that didn't exist before you ate that chicken patty. <laughs> it's going to be a cow patty and a chicken breast or something like that. Um, let's make this blood flow come to it. Angio blood genesis birth, the birth of new blood flow to these cells. If a cancer wants to be bigger than the tip of a ballpoint pen, it must create angiogenesis. And so that turkey sandwich for lunch just helped that cancer out. So we've got elevated estrogen levels, IGF-1, angiogenesis, and insulin resistance because of the saturated fat largely in these animal-derived foods. We're decreasing the whole like cascade of events that happens with insulin receptors. They get stuck with the saturated fat. So now when insulin's like, hey, I want to get in there, 
the receptors sitting there, blah, 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 stuffed with fat. Can't hear you, insulin. And so your glucose doesn't get the gate opened because insulin didn't do its job. Now the glucose is circulating in the bloodstream and everybody's blaming the fruit you ate. Mm-mm, it's the animal fat that's stuffing the receptor that doesn't let insulin in. So the gate doesn't open. So the sugar stays out and the pancreas is like, what's wrong with you? Didn't you hear me? Let me send more insulin out. Maybe you'll get the message this time. So now we have hyperinsulinemia flying around the blood, hyperglycemia, too much glucose in the blood. And this is all leading to inflammation. Inflammation is this stage that must be set and set it is when you are heavily consuming animal protein and fat all day long, processed foods as well. Inflammation just allows that cellular DNA damage to occur. And then the immune system gets overwhelmed and handicapped and voila, a DNA mutation in a breast cell occurs, doesn't get fixed or thrown out because your body's diverted by all the inflammation and stuff happening around, can't handle everything all at once. And now that little cell, one becomes two, becomes four, becomes some spot on your mammogram about five to eight years later. All right. So in, in that amazing explanation there, you mentioned a turkey sandwich. So I'm wondering what would happen if somebody took that turkey sandwich, took the turkey off of the sandwich and replaced it with maybe tempeh or even just hummus or something like that. Are they getting a benefit from the plant foods that are on there? Maybe there's lettuce, tomato on there, maybe a little bit of onion, whatever it is that they'd like to dress up on their sandwich. Is the benefit coming from those vegetables or is the biggest benefit coming from the fact that that turkey, that animal protein is no longer there? Is it a twofold thing? Is one greater than the other? You see where I'm going with this? I do. And I'm following you there to say, it's like a 50-50 split. It is so critical that you get rid of all the animal products. And yet the thing you substitute, is not neutral. Like, oh, I got rid of the animals and now I just need calories. You are swallowing down an anti-cancer weapon when you eat that sandwich. Preferably it's not white bread. We like whole grains as the, the, the tortilla wrap or the bread. But here's the thing. Everything I just said, Boop, 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 reverses, back that sucker up. We're going to decrease estrogen with that food. We're going to decrease IGF-1. We're going to increase insulin sensitivity. We're going to take away the blood vessels, like literally anti-angiogenic gets rid of the blood vessels that were already there. So this is encouraging because if you're like, oh, I'm already 64 and I'm overweight and I already have breast cancer. And so the blood vessels are already there. The estrogen levels are already high. Oh no, sister, we have so much work we can do and it happens fast. That's the beauty of it. I have a favorite study that I always talk about, but the punchline to this study is that when you eat a whole food, plant-based, high fiber, low fat diet for merely two weeks, bam, you can transform your blood into a cancer kicking machine as shown in human studies, like dripping their blood on Petri dishes where increases apoptosis, cancer cell suicide, just from two weeks. So that's how forgiving our bodies are. Just get the animals off the plate, dump a bunch of fruits and veggies and legumes onto the plate, and we're golden. All right. So then what are the biggies, right? All right. So you're talking about a 50-50 split, but let's say somebody really wants to go all in there and have the most banging anti-cancer foods fueling their body. What are Dr. Funk's go-tos to make sure that they are maximizing all of the possible cancer-fighting nutrients that they could possibly get? Okay. 
So I have a list of the top 18 anti-estrogenic foods that you and I went through last year, slide by slide. And 13 of those 18 fit so beautifully into my antioxidant smoothie. So if you really want uh, power in every sip, go to pinklotus.com slash smoothie. It'll take you to my kitchen and that recipe is theirs for for the taking. And what is so powerful about it? Here are my top foods that are in there. The top three foods that I get into my body faithfully daily with or without the smoothie are, drum roll please, soy. So this surprises a lot of people who are told to avoid soy based on the phytoestrogens that are in there, like um, uh, datecene and genistein. Phyto plant estrogen, estrazole, plant-derived estrogens. Turns out in every single human study done, every single one, high versus low soy consumers have across the board less occurrence, recurrence, and death from breast cancer. So while we could get into the nitty-gritty of those studies, the bottom line is soy in all of its minimally processed forms of tempeh, miso, natto, tamari are fermented soys, and then soy milk, tofu, uh, edamame, soybeans. Those are all excellent sources. I like to see three servings a day of soy of choice or mix and match. Okay. That was number one. Number two thing I get in my body every single day is a half a cup of raw or lightly steamed broccoli. Generally, I dip it in some hummus and I'm getting beans and fiber too, but it's really the broccoli that is my top fave here because of sulforaphane, phytochemicals, phytoplant, chemical, chemical. So we kind of sub in the word nutrient because chemicals just sound toxic, even though they're not um, necessarily. So these plant-based nutrients are fighting for you, decreasing inflammation, estrogen, IGF-1, all the things we just mentioned. Sulforaphane is like the superhero wearing a green colored cape flying through your veins whenever you consume it. So cruciferous veggies have the highest amount of sulforaphane. Tons of studies show that it has very effective cancer fighting abilities, even against cancer stem cells. So cancer stem cells are like the masterminds of all recurrence and therefore death. And we used to think once a cancer hijacks this like pluripotent, all-powerful stem cell, we're just in trouble because it doesn't divide very quickly. And the chemo weapons we throw into you only look at things that divide quickly. So cancer stem cells evade getting killed from chemo. And they kind of just sit and wait for you to not be paying attention to eat a little chicken wing and then boom, this flies out through that window that you opened, right? So forafane albeit in mouse studies and Chuck, you and I and everyone at PCRM is adamantly, vociferously against all uh, animal studies. However, I'm going to learn the lesson from this one. They grafted mice with both estrogen positive and estrogen negative breast cancer stem cells and then injected their little abdomens with sulforaphane. And it only took three weeks for that wad of stem cells to go from yay big to smaller to smaller to gone. Now, you might think, how many barrels of broccoli and how much gas do I have to endure (laughs) to have this cancer-fighting phenomenon? Turns out, they studied that too, and I'll cut to the chase, a cup and a quarter of broccoli sprouts, which have 100 times the sulforaphane of broccoli. So a cup and a quarter of broccoli sprouts would be the equivalent amount 
of sulforaphane that was injected into those mice. So super powerful. We've got soy and we've got broccoli sprouts even better than the broccoli florets in terms of sulforaphane content. Third winner, flax, flax seeds. Highest omega-3 fatty acid content of any other food on planet Earth, but it's not those healthy fats that I'm after. Actually, in the flax, it is the lignans. These are also uh, phytoestrogens, and they are also, just like with the soy, uh, genesine, and datesine, working for you and never against you when it comes to breast cancer. So studies on lignin content have absolutely undeniably shown a decrease in recurrence and death for high versus low lignin consumption. And it is found in a number of foods, but it is highest in flax. So one tablespoon of ground flax a day, if you have breast cancer, I like to double that up. And those all three go very nice. And not so much the broccoli, but the sprouts or fistfuls of leafy greens, kale and arugula go beautifully in the smoothie, soy milk as the base, easy to throw the flax in there. And then we can layer on top of that all sorts of anti-cancer plant-based goodness and spices, including turmeric and pepper, which go in there, amla, which is the powder form of um, the Indian gooseberry, highest antioxidant content of any berry on earth. We've got some blueberries in there, strawberries in there, a banana. It goes on and on. Check the recipe out, but those were my top three. Uh, housekeeping note, broccoli, when we're talking about getting the sulforaphane uh, from that, like, are we talking raw broccoli or are we talking steamed broccoli, cooked broccoli? What kind of broccoli are we talking? Okay. Pick your broccoli, any broccoli, but we might have to, <laughs> we might have to um, adapt the roasted and truly cooked broccoli to be more powerful inside of you by simply chopping up some raw broccoli and sprinkling it over it. Or adding a little bit of whole grain mustard seed. You can sprinkle mustard powder. What am I talking about? Why? So when you chew broccoli, that's sulforaphane, it is not there in the intact plant. Your little molars doing their its thing break apart the little compartments that are cells that make up the plant, the broccoli. And so boom, you release this enzyme called myrosinase. And myrosinase is taking your uh, ITCs, the isothiocyanates, and converts them into sulforaphanes. Myrosinase, that little enzyme doing the converting, is destroyed by the heat from cooking. So you are losing out on the conversion into sulforaphane if you cook your broccoli and knock out the enzyme. So things you can do, you can chop your broccoli or any other cruciferous vegetable, so you're actually lysing the cells with a knife, And you need to leave them out on the counter for 45 minutes for the myrosinase to magically appear. And then you can do your cooking. But if you're like me and get home and the kids are like, I'm hungry, I'm dying. You don't have time to like chop broccoli and let it sit for 45 minutes. Roast it up, chop some raw bits, sprinkle it over the top. That's my usual go-to. Or like I mentioned, you could also just use other like arugula or kale with this cooked broccoli and you're getting the myrosinase in there. Or like I mentioned, the mustard does it as well. Oh, you're, you're such a wizard when it comes to this stuff. I love it. Um, and and broccoli and hummus, man, that is a delicious combo. Like it just, it brings me such pleasure to know that you get to enjoy that every single day. Like it is so good. 
so good. Once it hits your lips. Um, when it comes to soy, can a person get the same benefit from a lot of these like uh, meat alternatives that you find now in the frozen food section as they would say, just something like straight up tofu or edamame? Absolutely not. So the processed foods that say soy protein isolate have fully extracted all of the isoflavone goodness. So for example, your typical serving of say tofu will have 25 milligrams of um, the isoflavones and the soy protein isolate will have 0.2 milligrams per equivalent tablespoon or whatever it is. That's the equivalent. So yeah, no, you're not getting any benefit. Additionally, whatever food that is that has soy protein isolate, you're not just like eating spoonfuls of isolate. So it's been processed into some sort of patty that probably uses coconut oil and some other um, preservatives, things that just are not whole food plant-based. It's still vegan. And for that, we're grateful and appreciate the effort. (laughs) But when consumed regularly, it's a very inflammatory food and it's probably high in saturated fat. So it's a kind of holidays and birthday only treat. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still, I I think that there's probably people who are watching right now or listening and thinking, well, it still has to be better than opting for a hot dog or a hamburger or a steak or something like that. Is it like a stepping stone kind of a deal that a lot of other guests, including Dr. Barnard, come on here and always say like those types of mock meats are really just a stepping stone toward that whole food plant-based diet? Absolutely. And as many transition foods in the plant-based space that you need to add to your armamentarium to make food palatable for you, know that your palate is going to change. It will shift. There was a great study just looking at um, people who salted their soup, okay? Um, Salt, of course, is is not an animal product, but it's also not good for you. It's categorically linked to less um, lifespan. So, they salted their soup. They looked at how much salt they used. And then they had zero salt, added salt allowed for, I think it was one week, may have been two. It's been a minute since I looked at this study, but it was not a long time. It was a week or two. Then they gave them that same bowl of soup and said, hey, salt this to your liking. And it was like 90% less salt. So that's how quickly their palate adjusted to be like, that is way too salty. Something that would be their normal amount of salt. And similarly, you will start to consume the more plant-based and uh, like, you know, just a big healthy lentil salad or uh, grilled tofu with brown rice and some veggies with a little drizzle of tahini sauce. The more you eat like that, the more you'll chomp into a impossible or beyond meat burger with all the fixings that includes like a vegan mayo that's also going to be high in fat, the more you're going to be like, wow, that tastes decadent. So you'll get there. And if you need to throw some vegan Thousand Island and vegan Caesar, you know, these dressings that have a lot of calories and usually a bunch of fat, um, go for it. It's fine. It's fine. Just try not to stay there forever. Have goals where you, like, if that's going to be your meal, the burger, if you do that, uh, or an impossible sausages, or like, if you're doing this nightly, maybe we can do it four nights a week. And then in a few months, maybe three nights a week and transition yourself to just being more whole food oriented. 
Right, let's do an exam roomy roll call real quick. We have people watching Dr. Funk right now from literally all over the world. Mona's checking in from Savannah, Georgia. Anton, all the way over in Holland. Christine says she's so excited for this. She needs her funk fix. That's all the funk fix. That's awesome. Julia is out walking with us. She's on the Katy Trail right now in Missouri and listening while she's on a stroll. Karen is also checking in. We have Mignon over in the Netherlands. People all over the world, riches in Sacramento. So thank you, everybody who's tuned in right now. And uh, don't forget, if you feel like you're learning something, like this video and subscribe to the channel on YouTube. It really does help us get this information out to people who need it the most, who are searching for those answers. We want to be the ones to help provide them with the healthiest answers possible. And just by liking the video, that goes a long way to getting it in front of the eyes of the people who need to see it the most. Let's go ahead and take a question right now from Holly, Dr. Funk. And and she was listening intently. She says, well, listen, I hear you talking about the BRCA gene, but in all honesty, are these diet, are these lifestyle changes we've been discussing enough to reduce my friend's risk of cancer? Is there anything else that person should be doing? Oh, that's a great question because there's a plethora of things that she can be doing in addition to diet, right? So um, within lifestyle, there are a number of things to be thinking about that include regular exercise. What's enough? Because I'll do the bare minimum, Doc. Um, if you can saunter along and have a conversation with a friend, I want to see you doing five hours of exercise weekly. If it's super vigorous, super sweaty, and you can barely talk, then two and a half will do the trick. Um, more is generally better, but those are great goals, and those are probably already lofty for a number of people, right? Five hours for Easier exercise, two and a half for vigorous. Next up, uh, weight. Being overweight or obese is an absolute risk factor for recurrence and increased mortality from breast cancer on the order of 50 to 250% increase. And that has a number of reasons why the weight is associated with recurrence. Very briefly, I'll just say that fat contains an enzyme called aromatase, which is busy all day long converting adrenal gland steroids into estrogen. And as we've already discussed, estrogen is a fuel source for 80% of all breast cancers. So the more weight you carry, the more converting into estrogen, the higher levels of estrogen you will have, all proven in human studies that it's true. The more weight, the higher the estrogen, the higher the risk of occurrence, recurrence, and death from breast cancer. But additionally, you've got people who are overweight have more leptin. And this is a direct cancer stimulant, and it creates all sorts of inflammatory badness. You also get insulin resistance, which elevates insulin like we already talked about. And insulin is a direct activator of breast cancer cells, and it also increases IGF-1, which we've discussed as a big bad actor. So there's weight. Then there are less um, discussed tools that you can use that are incredibly important. So we've talked a ton about what to eat and what not to eat, but we keep saying eat. Turns out if you just don't eat fast, you will decrease your risk of breast cancer. A study came out in 2015 showing that breast cancer patients, early stages one, two, and three, who didn't eat for 13 hours nightly had 36% less recurrence than those who had less of a fasting window. So that looks like I stop eating at 7 p.m., eat my next meal at 8 a.m., 
Okay. So just intermittent fasting on a daily basis basically just gives your body a break. The process of digestion is busy, very busy, and your immune system is busy as part of it. So it doesn't give us enough time in that little like seven to nine hour sleeping window for real cell rejuvenation and repair to occur. So extending that window gives the immune system a little bit more time to be like, oh, she didn't down like a big, uh, fruit bowl or anything healthy as it may be. It's still like, okay, here we go. Digestion team, let's get busy. So fasting daily is great. What's even better is longer fasting. So it takes a solid 48 and up to 72 hours for your body to get, of not eating, for your body to get into autophagy, auto self-phage eat, where your body eats itself. That sounds bizarrely self-cannibalistic. However, your body is super duper smart. When it scavenges cells and does this autophagy process, it's going to be like, I'm not taking down a perfectly good muscle cell. I'm going to go after the inflammatory senescent cell, the one that's already got some mutations happening, the one that is buzzing around, um, elucidating all these like inflammatory markers, um, like interleukins, and I'm going to kill those off, recycle them for parts and make brand new cells. So autophagy is the key to cell rejuvenation and repair so that the cells inside of you haven't been there very long. So they don't have mutations. They're new. Walter Longo, if you know his work out of USC in the Center for Longevity there, has investigated the effect of fasting on cell rejuvenation and repair and on aging and anti-aging. So this is a huge topic in the anti-aging space right now, but it turns out cancer ages you, (laughs) heart attacks age you, strokes age you, Alzheimer's ages you. So the things that you do in the pursuit of a more youthful looking complexion and maybe lifespan actually stave off all the things that steal your joy and make you die sooner, right? So he tried to get people to drink water for five days, highly unsuccessful. And then with the $30 million grant from the NIH, he devised this five-day eating plan that is a vegan ketosis. Although for some of you, um, the bars have honey, so you may not want to. But the point is, there is a way of eating that doesn't create insulin release so that you're not super hangry. It's only about 800 calories a day, but it helps you get through that five days. And the reason five days is critical is you get three solid days of autophagy happening. Day six, when you refeed, there's an eightfold increase in stem cell production. We already talked about these little masterminds. When they're hijacked by cancer, they're evil. But when they're created de novo inside of you, they get to become any cell that your body really needs right now. And it's basically always B and T cells for your lymph system, for your uh, immune system, right? So five-day fasting is another thing I have all of my breast cancer patients employ uh, religiously every three to four months. Daily fasting, daily, uh, 13 to 16 hours of not eating. Another big thing, and then I'll stop here, but this is a very long-winded answer. Uh, but in addition, of course, to the diet um, changes and exercise and weight and fasting is attention to your stress levels. And part of stress is a lack of forgiveness. I have found that in my patients who really forgive themselves and forgive past traumas, 
there it's very hard to measure and it has been measured and yes there can be less c-reactive protein and other markers but there is an appreciation of life that is so cyclical and self-feeding right that, that once you practice meditation and prayer or forgiveness or gentle stretching or whatever it is that just releases stress and when you let go of this mental um obsession with past wrongs that you've done or others have done to you you're free you're free from something you can't change anyway and it actually alters i think your health destiny so those are some extra things to do besides all the typical diet things we talk about you know, and, and maybe when you come back on the show uh, later on this month, we can talk a little bit more about stress mitigation, because uh, as I've been learning personally, uh, stress can really wreak havoc on your your health. And you could be eating the healthiest diet in the world. You could be getting well over 10,000 steps a day. But if you are a constant ball of stress, your body is going to do some really funky things and uh, can can wind up really wreaking havoc on you. So let's hone in on that a little bit later on uh, when you come back this month. But I want to jump to another question. Take this one from Karen. Got to go back to those broccoli sprouts you were talking about earlier. Karen apparently has a green thumb, sent this one in at 1226. Wants to know whether or not, Dr. Funk, you have actually tried to grow your own broccoli sprouts. Do you have a green thumb? <laughs> I don't, but I have, yeah. So it's like five days from seed to sprout in those little jars. You keep them in the closet for two days and then they're out on the counter for three and you got to keep adding water. And it's so simple if you're in your house, but I work a lot. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. I'm going to confess, but I think as life evolves and I spend less time in the office and more time at home, I will get back to sprouting. But kudos to you and your green thumb. Sprouting is so easy. Um, is it Doug Abrams, the sprout guy? He's got Evans. a great book. Evans, thank you. Um, so check his book out, guys, if you're trying to figure out home sprouting. He's got it down. Yeah, he was just on the show what, a month or two ago. So check out that, too. I mean, he he really, I call him the sprout whiz. I mean, that that guy is just insanity come to life when it when it comes to sprouts. Um, what, are you a fan of bananas? I'm going somewhere with this. Matter of fact, Anton is going somewhere with this. He saw a claim from a major banana manufacturer or producer uh, that said that they have some sort of special role in preventing cancer. Do you know anything? about that. Anton sent that question in on YouTube at 1212. Well, bananas have um, rutin in them and rutin is a potent anti-inflammatory and to the degree that we know that's the stage for illness and cancer, it's helpful. So I don't know if there's anything more medicinal and deeper in the banana world, but uh, it's definitely anti-cancer food. It makes the list. Do, do bananas have their own world that I'm unaware of? I mean, I, I'm sure they do. I mean, it's big business, right? I mean, my yeah. goodness. Uh, Christine, who's here getting her funk fix today at 1212, she says, I just found out that I have check two mutation. I'm 43 years old. What does this mean exactly? And what should I do? My mother passed away from breast cancer, she says. Mm. Okay. And first of all, of course, I'm very sorry to hear about your mother. Uh, tech two mutation carriers have between 20 and 40% chance of lifetime risk of breast cancer. You're going to be toward 40% because of mom's history. So 
here's what I would do. Did, um, did we find out how old she is, Chuck? Christine is 43. 43. Okay. So to maximally reduce your risk, the reality is the idea of prophylactic mastectomy should be floated. Just learn about it. Like there's no urgency. There's no promise that that's what you're going to pursue. But there is something clearly emancipating about bilateral prophylactic mastectomies. You're never going to get breast cancer for one. And for two, you get to avoid all of the screening that I'm now going to increase in your life. So for your average woman, she's getting a mammogram every year, maybe every two years. If she's not dense breasted, it just sort of lands there. And I advocate for monthly self-breast exams, exams with a doctor who knows what they're doing twice a year. Um, and that's good enough. If you have dense breasts or you're at elevated risk, as are you, then we're going to completely up the ante with making sure it's a 3D mammogram and do whole breast screening ultrasound. And every one to two years, a breast MRI. So that would be my screening regimen. If you lived near me, I would see you twice a year for a hands-on exam and encourage you and teach you how to do self-breast exams, which would be monthly. And then we would just talk about your your life, everything about it. I would get really intimate about like how much your breasts mean to you. Are you? I know you're 43, but are you done childbearing? Does breastfeeding matter to you? Are you in a stable relationship? How much sexual pleasure do you get from your breast and nipple sensation? Because that basically goes away in 95% of women after mastectomy. But we just talk about the idea of mastectomy because it is a high enough risk in you to consider. Let's take a second and talk about mammograms. We do have a couple of people wondering about that. Donna is tuned in in Tokyo wondering whether a mammogram, in your opinion, is a must in order to detect breast cancer. That came in at 1215. It's absolutely not a must. Um, sadly, uh, Suzanne Summers passed away very recently, and she had a 2.4 centimeter invasive cancer that was found on screening ultrasound the same day her screening mammogram missed it and she didn't feel it. So yes, you can definitely screen using other modalities besides mammogram. A combination of all of them is going to give you your highest rate of detection, but I'm the first one to admit there are big problems with mammograms, including a dose of radiation that over time with annual exposure, it's not a high number, but it's literally like eight out of every 10,000 women who gets annual mammograms between the ages of 40 and 74 will get a breast cancer induced by the radiation from those mammograms. In that same amount of time, we found 100 times more cancers uh, in those 10,000 women, but, but eight, 8.6 were caused by getting the radiation, whereas we found 860 cancers. So it's a you know, risk-benefit analysis on that one. Another Donna sent this to me on Instagram, wondering what age a woman should be when they get their first mammogram. If you're at normal risk, meaning you don't have a strong family history or you yourself haven't had a biopsy of your breasts in your 30s showing some sort of marker lesion, which is not cancer, but something that says, hey, this girl's breasts are trying to make something. We better look more intensely and more frequently at her breasts. If you're just a woman going through life, no breast issues, no family history, start at 40. Um, and I 
do side with the American Society of Breast Surgeons who currently say, start at 40 every year, don't stop and don't skip years until your life expectancy is under 10 years, and then you get to stop. All right, uh, Victor. I mean, we've really hit on something here with with the uh, sulforaphane and and the broccoli. All right, so this is kind of a, a, a level two hundred one, maybe even three hundred one level question right. regarding sulforaphane. After you cut broccoli, does it need to be exposed to air in order for sulforaphane to be generated, or can you put it in a blender or a smoothie and wait forty five minutes before drinking it? Ooh, brilliant! You can put it in a blender or smoothie. That's fine. That is a two hundred one level question, or right. you, you know that that is not that is not a one on one introductory one. <laughs> v- Victor is definitely raising his health IQ. So Victor, there you go, man. We got your next level question answered. If you could give a thumbs up or a like to this video, buddy, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, Anjali twelve thirteen is turmeric to be avoided when taking tamoxifen. Ooh, great question. So the the amounts of turmeric that have been shown to interfere with the metabolism and bioavailability of tamoxifen is like insane it's about 18 teaspoons so go for a teaspoon a day of turmeric and that will have solid anti-cancer recurrence benefits and zero interference with tamoxifen just don't have 18 scoops actually just don't even have like you know more than three teaspoons a day. What are you eating anyway if you're having that one? I mean, that's just a lot of turmeric. Um, but that's, that's, I investigated this actually just like two weeks ago, did a deep dive into all the latest science because the patient asked the same question and I wanted to make sure nothing had changed. And it's still like super physiologic, ridiculous amounts of turmeric that yes, do interfere with tamoxifen. So have your teaspoon a day and uh, you'll be fine. I want to say hi to Mr. B Healthy. That's a fun name on YouTube. Says, hey, it's my first time watching live. We are a plant-based family and have been for eight years. This is just fantastic and so helpful and supportive, especially as we have two girls in the house. So that's very cool. Thank you, Mr. B Healthy. What a, that's a cool name. I like that. Thanks for tuning in live. And I want to just throw out there because there's misinformation um, about soy and young girls and young boys. Uh, boys getting what we call man boobs, I call it gynecomastia, from soy consumption. Not true. Again, there's a case report of a 19-year-old who was drinking a gallon of soy milk every single day. Like, that's too much. So I'm not surprised that maybe at some point the estrogen receptor crossed over to be the one that promotes breast cell growth. All right. So um, our uh, a friend of PCRM, Dr. Mark Messina, published in 2020 a really uh, beautiful human study. Uh, he published a study of all human studies, 417 human studies looking at soy consumption and fill in the blank, breast cancer, prostate cancer, endocrine disorders, messed up periods in girls, ovulation cycles getting messed up, little boy gynecomastia, sterility in men. It went on and on. And he after looking at these 417 studies with the team, determined that soy is absolutely not an endocrine disrupting compound, an EDC. And as a phytoestrogen, it does not promote breast cancer, prostate cancer, or any of those things on the list. So it is safe for young children, boy or girl, to consume soy, just not a gallon a day. 
<laughs> want to say hi to I'm a dandy who is tuned in late, but get this, Dr. Funk. Uh, I'm a dandy says uh, they are stage three with lymph node involvement cancer survivor. They say they have an MRI coming up on Friday of the chest wall. Wondering because they're new to eating a whole food plant-based diet, if Dr. Funk has a cookbook or a book that they might want to check out. So I think I know the answer, but why don't you go ahead and clue in I'm a dandy. I'm a dandy. I do have a national bestseller. It's called Breasts, the Owner's Manual. And I encourage you to get that wherever books are sold, but Amazon uh, is the likely place for you. And um, in terms of a cookbook, I have a cancer kicking kitchen. And once a month, my friend Christy and I have a cook live with Christy and Dr. Christy. It's on Zoom, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And we cook live <laughs> and we make a beautiful plant-based meal our next one is uh, we'll look for the next one because i know it's sort of evergreen but october 25th we have one coming up it is my cancer kicking buddha bowl that is actually part of the pcrm let's beat breastcancer.org campaign in that we have hospitals across the country serving this cancer kicking buddha bowl in their cafeterias that day so that's a very exciting one on my website pinklotus.com slash kitchen we have a number of recipes, of course, always plant-based. Yeah, and look, we've got a link to a lot of that good stuff right now in the show description if you're watching us live on Facebook and on YouTube. Let's get a couple of more here, and then we'll take things home. Uh, we were just talking about turmeric interfering with tamoxifen, uh, but uh, D.L. Litney at 1250 is wondering whether they should be avoiding it if they're taking something called ribocelib. R-I-B-O-C-I-C-L-I-B. -I -I right. Ribocyclib. It is, um, gosh, you know what? I can't, I don't want to ill-advise you. I have not researched any interaction between turmeric and that particular drug. So it, there could be an interaction of which I am not aware. So I'm not going to answer that. I'm sorry. Fair enough. <laughs> and let's end with a question from Michelle, uh, who sent this in on Instagram a little bit earlier. Uh, in your book, Breasts, the Owner's Manual, you talked about the benefits of olive oil, um, but also because we know fat can really be a... Um, a hindrance in terms of cancer or, you know, just not something you want to eat a lot of. Mm -hmm. She's also wondering like how much olive oil you might recommend. So what's the limit there? I would say a tablespoon a day. Okay. Um, that should get you through any kind of like stir frying that you want to do or salad dressing if you just really need oil. But um, I use it even more sparingly than that. I probably have about a tablespoon a week. But I think if from an inflammatory perspective, um, it's all about omega-3, 6s, 9, saturated versus monounsaturated, polyunsaturated fats and the contents that differ between oils. Otherwise, oils are categorically across the board 120 calories of pure fat per tablespoon. So, you know, you also have to look at where what other sources of fat you may be consuming today before you just liberally use uh, oil uh, because you just don't want. Mm, ideally about 10% of your calories are coming from fat. So if you're already getting that from other sources, then I would just dial way back on the oil. 
All right, gang, if we didn't get to your question today, I promise you we will do our best to get it uh, answered in an upcoming episode, perhaps even Dr. Funk when you join us again in just a little while. Um, but if you have not yet and you're watching this and you have not yet signed up and taken the pledge to join us for our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign, you can do that right now and learn all about our four-pronged or four-step approach to beating breast cancer. Hop on letsbeatbreastcancer.org. Sign up, take that pledge, and you get the free e-cookbook and i do believe dr funk that your cancer kicking smoothie recipe is in this cookbook which is amazing yeah, yeah so so go ahead and uh, hop on that there's a link to that in the episode notes as well and of course uh check out dr funk pinklotus.com has all kinds of phenomenal resources there for you and breast the owner's manual a fantastic book pick that up at amazon your local book retailer your local library wherever it is that you get your books go ahead and pick up a copy of that and stock it up in your house it is indeed a must read dr funk you are just awesome. Aww. So thank you so much for being here and really helping to raise our cancer kicking IQs today. Like there is no better person on the face of the earth to get us all women, men, children, grown adults, like just get us all fired up to band together to beat breast cancer. And what you said right at the beginning of the show, where you're talking about bare minimum, 50% of these cases, half of these cases are in fact preventable. And in your very well-educated guess, perhaps even as much as 80 or 90%, like that to me is hope. That to me is inspiration. And that to me is why I love having you on this show because it does not always have to be doom and gloom. We can put the power of health right back in the palm of our hands. So thank you, Dr. Funk. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks everybody for coming today. What a great show today, filled with hope and inspiration and facts. And if you want more, you're fired up and you want to join our Let's Beat Breast Cancer campaign, you can absolutely do that. And oh, by the way, get your hands on a free starter guide as well and an e-cookbook that is filled with amazing cancer fighting recipes. All you need to do right now is take the pledge at letsbeatbreastcancer.org. That's letsbeatbreastcancer.org. You can also find information on our Let's Beat Breast Cancer rallies that are happening coast to coast across the country. You can find one that is in your area as well. Letsbeatbreastcancer.org or click that link in the episode notes. And we still have more to come throughout the month of October with Dr. Funk as we continue to band together to beat breast cancer. So much more to get into with Dr. Funk, so stay tuned for that. But I'll tell you what I'm walking away from today's show with today. It is a profound impression that just a small fraction of breast cancer cases are attributable to genetics. And that means that the power of prevention is in your hands. And that power is even more powerful than you possibly could ever have imagined. So cool. So I'm so very grateful for Dr. Funk contributing her knowledge, bestowing it to us here on the show today. And if you feel like you've raised your health IQ by a point or two, you want to pay this forward, share it with a friend. Well, here's the easiest way to do that. Let's put health back in all of our hands. 
head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. If you have not already done this, please go ahead and follow or subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast. And when you do that, please also leave a five-star rating and a nice review. That is how this podcast continues to grow. That is how we get this life-saving, life-changing information to people around the world. So let's band together to beat breast cancer and let's band together to make the world a healthier place. There are links to follow and subscribe, Spotify, Apple, wherever it is that you get your shows in the episode notes. So go ahead, take a second to do that. Leave that five-star rating and a nice review. And I promise you this, you are doing your part to make the world a healthier place. Don't forget, coming up November 7th, Washington, D.C., once in a lifetime, exam room live with Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, his wife, Anne, Rip Esselstyn from Plant Strong, and of course, Jane Esselstyn will also be with us that night, plus Dr. Neil Barnard and hundreds of exam roomies all coming together to say thank you to the Esselstyn family for their contributions to make the world a healthier place as well. Would love to see you there November 7th at the National Press Club for this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, pcrm.org slash events to get your tickets or click the link that's in the episode notes. Also, Chesapeake, Virginia, Hampton Roads, my hometown. Coming up October 28th, I will be speaking at the Hampton Roads Veg Fest in Chesapeake, so I do hope to see you there. And Houston, Texas, headed your way for the Montgomery Heart and Wellness Summit on November 18th as well. Plus, New York City, there's a rumor floating around that you may want to keep an eye out for something that may be happening in November. Details on that coming soon. But I'm very much looking forward to getting out and about as we wrap up the year on a healthy high note. Can't wait to see you all. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Christy Funk for being here and helping to raise our health IQs as we band together to beat breast cancer. Can't wait to talk to her again in the very near future. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. Mm-hmm.